And the assembly was divided. That's what Luke said in Acts chapter 23 to a group of people 2,000 years ago. The assembly was divided. Schizo is his word. It was torn in half. It was violently ripped apart. The same word Luke used about the curtain of the temple torn in two at the death of Jesus. We get our word schism from it. The assembly was divided. But that was then. What about now? I, I thought, well, maybe this morning we'll just, uh, we'll just see, even for, for those of us here in this worship service. So I, I'm just going to invite you to, uh, you know, share your opinion by raising your hand at one thing or another, and we'll just uh, see how we agree or disagree on certain things. And if you're watching at home, you can chime in on the comments. So, uh, so l- let me just ask you some very key important questions this morning, like, should shoes stay on or off when someone walks in your door at your house? How many of you say, leave your shoes on, it's no big deal? Okay. How many of you say, get them off, it's gross? Okay. Some differences of opinion. These will get exceedingly more difficult as we go on. Um, (laughs) Should toilet paper hang under (laughs) or over? How many say under? Under is the way. How many say over? Okay. All right. How about this one? How many pillows should be on your bed? (laughs) Two or fewer or three or more? How many say the bare minimum? Two or fewer, okay. How many say load that thing up? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Differences of opinion. All right, one more. What is the best peanut butter? Creamy or, how many say Give me the smooth stuff. Okay, quite a few. How many say, I want to chew it? (laughs) Yeah, all right. And the assembly was divided. (laughs) And we're friends, we're peers, we're even brothers and sisters in Jesus. At least we were before that exercise, I don't know about now. But if we're this divided on all these kinds of opinions, just how much more is our culture divided about all kinds of different things? I I didn't even ask you to vote on issues like team Republicans or team Democrats. Public school, private school, Christian school, homeschool, which is best. I didn't ask you to vote on global warming, real threat, or fake news. I didn't ask you, when masks were mandated, did you wear masks for the common good or did you refuse in order to protect your rights? How about student loan forgiveness? Good idea, helping millions of people? Bad idea, unfair for those who paid them off. How about tomorrow? What are we celebrating? Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day? And the assembly was divided Uh, Today we're continuing in our series in Acts called Shorthand Testimony. We're observing Paul as he goes on trial many, many times in Acts 22 all the way to the end of 26. And, And in the same way, we're talking about how we can develop our own shorthand testimony to share our stories with Jesus, like we heard Lenore do just earlier in the service. And we want to do that in a world that seems increasingly more and more divided. You have a story to tell. But telling your story requires something very specific in this divided 
time. Uh, Jesus, I think, shared that with Paul in Acts 23, and I think he whispers it to us today. But, but what is that thing? When you want to share your story, your testimony well in this day and age, what, what do you need? Well, for Paul, I think he needed this one quality that Jesus describes because, first of all, uh, people abuse their authority. In uh, Acts chapter 22, uh, we, we talked a little bit last week how Paul had come into Jerusalem and he'd been beaten and now he was arrested for how he interacted with non-Jewish people. Uh, Paul shared his shorthand testimony to this Jewish crowd that gathered outside the temple. He talked about his life before Jesus and his Jewish upbringing and then his life with Jesus. And yet the crowd, when they heard about God's heart for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, they got angry again. And they... They resorted to violence again. So this Roman official in Acts 22, verse 30, uh, they, they didn't really know what to do with Paul, this rabble rouser. And so we read there that the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released Paul and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. This was the sort of Jewish high court of the first century, and if anybody could clarify why these Jewish people were so upset by Paul, certainly the Sanhedrin would be the group to do it. So, verse one of chapter 23, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin, and he said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Paul says, I'm innocent. Literally, he says, brothers, I've lived as a citizen before God. Citizenship would be a big issue in these trials of Paul, his citizenship in Tarsus, and certainly his Roman citizenship, and his kinship with the Jewish brothers and sisters. Here Paul is stressing his ultimate citizenship was lived under God's rule. I have fulfilled my civic duty to God, he says. In his mind, he'd done nothing wrong. But boy, that would inflame that Jewish high council, the, the Sanhedrin, because here it was in their mind, this lawbreaker just said he wouldn't change a thing, and he's doing God's will. So at this verse two, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Oh man, I cannot read this story and not think about those occasions rare though they may have been, when my own mom popped me on the mouth for saying something sarcastic or mean. I know you, ha I know you have a hard time thinking that I would ever say anything sarcastic, but <laughs> there was a time. I, I don't know if you had anybody that did that in your life. It's not exactly you know, considered good parenting form these days, but boy, it left an impression on me. And I remember when that happened, I probably didn't even, you know, just barely even tap my mouth, but man, it just inflamed the anger in me when that happened. I think Paul felt the same. And why wouldn't he? Because this Ananias, this high priest, he was quite a guy. Appointed the high priest, Jewish high priest, around 47 AD. He would serve in that capacity on and off until 59 AD. And the historian Josephus depicted him as one of the very worst high priests that they experienced. He was known for extreme cruelty and greed. He accepted bribes. He encouraged those who served him to, to take the tithes from the poorer priests. 
On top of that, he was in cahoots with Rome. He served Roman leaders more than his own Jewish people. But he was so corrupt, he would be disciplined for his part in a Jewish ambush of some Samaritan travelers. And so Agrippa II would remove Ananias from his position as high priest uh, not that long after this experience with Paul. And eight years from this experience with Paul, Jewish freedom fighters would actually murder him at the outbreak of the war with Rome. That's how little they thought of him. Ananias was a piece of work. <laughs> And he orders Paul's mouth to be slapped. Well, Paul gets hot, okay? Verse 3, Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Man, he gets mad, and he lashes out. The, the Jewish law, you see, didn't allow condemnation or punishment to come until someone had been accused and had been uh, proven guilty. But here, Ananias is doling the punishment out first. And so Paul calls him a whitewashed wall. That's a first century slam, okay? It's basically saying you're hiding your ugliness behind white paint. Walls in the Mediterranean world, especially the Eastern Mediterranean, if they face the street, would be painted uh, white in this white wash so that they would look pure and clean on the outside, even if the inside was crumbling and falling apart. In other words, Paul is calling Ananias a hypocrite. Here you sit in your high priestly robes in this seat of special honor in the place of authority as an interceder between God and man as the Jewish high priest. And, and so you're supposed to be sitting in holiness and righteousness, but instead your bright exterior hides a black heart. He needed to be judged because he was breaking the law by striking Paul on the mouth. Ananias was not doling out justice. He was dealing violence. He was not doing God's will. He was doing his own. He was whitewashed on the outside, but inside was full of death. And that's how Jesus described some in religious authority in his own day. You might remember Matthew 23. Uh, he said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Do you know anybody like that? Anybody who uses their authority, not for the good, not for to serve people, not for justice. They use and abuse their authority for their own way or for their own vengeance or for their own stuff. Maybe for you it was an old boss. I hope it was an old boss, not a current one. Maybe it was a father or a mother and all the pain that can come from that. Maybe it was a pastor or a teacher, or a coach, or a spouse, boyfriend, or girlfriend. Biographer James Hirsch describes one in uh, 1961, uh, a counselor at a local community center in San Francisco, uh, reached out at the time to an all-star center fielder for the San Francisco Giants, a guy named Willie Mays. And he reached out because uh, the counselor wanted to use uh, Willie Mays' influence to help a 14-year-old boy. Uh, this young man showed a lot of promise. He was tall, he was athletic, he was muscular, good-looking, charismatic, but he just kept making terrible life choices. In fact, he just robbed a liquor store. 
and his life was spiraling out of control. So the counselor wanted Willie to meet with him and he wanted Willie to share his story. And Willie accepted the invitation and he spent the entire afternoon with the teenager, which was very generous of him. However, he didn't share his story. Instead, he walked him all around and he showed him his big house and his fancy car and all his new clothes. He he didn't tell him a story. He didn't tell him about avoiding mistakes or staying out of trouble or how he navigated his life. He showed him all all these wonderful things thinking that if he saw this is the kind of life you could have, he'd clean clean up his life. And it worked, sort of. Uh, The kid continued to excel in athletics. He became a professional football player. In fact, uh, he became so successful, he became a household name, maybe exceeding Willie Mays in wealth and fame. Uh, Just one problem. In 1994, this famous running back used his authority to abuse, accused of killing his wife, Nicole Simpson, as well as Ron Goldman. And during the trial, I'm sure you have heard about this trial, the defense wanted to call Willie Mays as a character witness. But he refused because the only connection he'd made with O.J. Simpson was over success and material things. O.J. had learned to imitate Willie's success, but not to imitate his character. And sometimes I wonder, you know, what what might have happened had Willie Mays told his story to O.J. Simpson and told about his life and his uh, choices and his values and and covered what really mattered in life? What if, what if he had challenged O.J. to use his talents and his authority for good and to, instead of just merely enriching himself? But to tell your story, that takes something, you know? It takes something that's kind of rare these days. And I wonder what you would need to tell your story to someone, even someone who is hypocritical, even someone who uses their authority against you. How can you love your enemy in that moment? You're going to need something, something that's very hard, yet very tangible, something Jesus, I think, provides and nurtures and encourages in us. But what is that thing, that quality? Now keep reading verse 4. Paul shouts out, and those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Paul quiets his righteous anger when he realizes that this is God's high priest. Uh, He shifts his focus, it seems, from the man to his role and from the scoundrel to his sacred office. It is a bit curious for me that Paul did not realize this was the high priest. And there have been all kinds of suggestions about, well, how how could he not realize this? If they were in council, he would have been in holy robes and he would have been in the seat of honor and all the... How, How did he not realize? Some have said, well, maybe it was Paul's weak eyes. He couldn't see very well, you know? Couldn't see who it was. Maybe he didn't know it was the high priest who ordered him to be slapped. I don't know. I, I kind of like John Polhill's take on this, honestly. Uh, he says, maybe Paul said this with a hint of irony, like, well, uh, I didn't recognize him because he's not really acting like a high priest, and how could I recognize him when he's so out of character? Maybe that's what he meant. I don't know. 
But in any case, Paul quiets himself and he quotes God's law and he follows it. Before one who abuses his authority, Paul will not damage his testimony or weaken his witness. He will quiet himself and submit. And that takes something, you know? That takes something because to stare down a hypocrite, someone who's acting violent and, and acting the fool, everything in us screams for justice. And, and God, I know exactly who I think should dole out that justice. I'll do it. Pick me. But not Paul. He pulls himself under control. And that takes something. What is that thing? What does Jesus offer when we need to share our story with abusive people in authority? Well, I haven't heard it yet in the story, but I think it's the same quality that we need when people disagree on theology. You think that happens these days? Uh, Paul changes his tactics for his testimony. Verse 6, Paul, knowing some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now imagine uh, the Sanhedrin, this Jewish high court, they would sit in a semicircle similar to what we have here. Paul the accused would be right in the middle of all of them. The majority party, let's say these three sections are Sadducees, okay? Sadducees were sort of aristocratic Jewish people. They really, their, their Bible really was only the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And so for them, there's not a lot in those first five books. Not much anything clear, honestly, about life after death or about the resurrection of the dead. And so when they hear that stuff, they said, no, 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 none of that. But there were also a, minor, a minority party called the Pharisees, and they also were part of the Sanhedrin. They were a smaller group of people, let's say this section over here. But they, they, they accepted what we would call probably our Old Testament. And, and so in the prophets and other places, there is talk about life after death and resurrection of the dead and, and life and angels and, and reward and some of those things. And, and so to this mixed crowd, Paul told his story. And at the center of his story was the hope of the resurrection of the dead. He said to this Sanhedrin, I am here because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I'm here because I believe in Jesus I will rise from the dead. I believe you can have resurrection life right now. That was his shorthand testimony. Is it any wonder that in that group, all of a sudden, things got real divided? Verse 7, when he said this, a dispute broke out among the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Here's our statement earlier. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things, Luke says. To, to this assembly, you know, to some of them, to the majority of them, this sounds absurd. You believe a guy died and came back to life? And you believe somehow you're going to die and come back to life? This is ridiculous. You've staked your life on this? And they begin arguing amongst themselves. Verse 9, there was a great uproar, Luke says. A croge is his word, a raucous crying out. The term was based on the croaking of ravens. You can almost hear it, right? The courtroom started squawking. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and they argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And the dispute became so violent, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. 
He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Man, what do you need to tell your story in a world that's so divided? Not just political division and the abuse of authority. We feel that, but also theological division and the lack of civil uh, debate or civil discussion we can have. Some people in our community believe in God. Some believe in Allah. Some believe in Vishnu. Some believe in none. What do you need to witness to the power of Jesus in your workplace tomorrow afternoon, when your boss is leaning on you, maybe crushing you, and your coworker doesn't even want to have a conversation about Jesus, what quality would Jesus call out in us to tell our testimony in such a divided world? And I think you have to agree, there are divisions everywhere. Help me out again. Let's just see you right here. By show of hands, which is the better way to eat cookie dough? <laughs> Baked cookies or the raw dough? How many of you say, give me the cookie? Okay. How many of you say the dough is where it's at? <laughs> Division. <laughs> which is worse? Loud neighbors or nosy neighbors? How many of you say, I wish they'd just quiet down? How many of you say, get your nose out of my business? How many of you just don't want neighbors at all? You're just like, I don't, <laughs> okay. And of course, the key question of division in my generation, in my lifetime, were Ross and Rachel on a break or not? <laughs> and the assembly was divided. What quality do we need to share our story, our testimony about Jesus in such a divided time and age? Well, I think it's right here in verse 11. Luke says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and he said, take courage, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem so you must also testify in Rome the living Jesus resurrected ascended to the father has something to say to Paul and I hope you can hear it too in our day and age as well take courage he said Tharse is the word. It's, it's to be confident, to be bold, to be firm in the midst of trouble. It's a command. It's, it's used seven times in the New Testament, almost exclusively by Jesus. Uh, take courage, he told the paralyzed man. Take heart, he told uh, the woman who had a bleeding issue. Uh, take courage, he said to his disciples when they saw him walking on the water and were scared to death. Take courage, he says to Paul. And I think he says the same to us. Be bold and take heart. Be courageous because your witness means something. Your testimony matters. Tell your story to a divided world and let the Lord whisk away any anxiety you feel or despair you feel or, or concern that you feel when you share about God. Would you do that this week? Would you dare speak of your hope of resurrection when the opportunity arises, even for disagreeing people or abusive people? Would you do that? Would you dare stand in the court of your divided peers where the assembly was divided? And would you boldly say, in Jesus, I hope in the resurrection of the dead. It'll be tough. Nobody can agree on anything anymore. Like pineapple on pizza. <laughs> How many of you say, yes, please? How many of you say, not in your life? Yeah? 
we're divided like, like this dress on the internet. <laughs> is it white and gold or blue and black or is it just the difference in the color? I don't know, I don't know. We're divided. Like the best team in baseball. Is it the St. Louis Cardinals or is it the St. Louis Cardinals? Which was... <laughs> I was hoping they were going to win yesterday because I, man. And the assembly was divided. It'll be tough to share your story of redemption in Jesus. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to take something. It's going to take courage. But Jesus says he can use your testimony to the ends of the earth. Do you believe that? In this world, he said, you will have trouble but take heart it's the same word take courage I have overcome the world if you believe that share your story with someone and I believe it might just echo through eternity Father we pray that our witness this week will be bold and courageous and that you will open opportunities for us to share our stories with you and our witness of you even when we stare down division and even when we see authority abused, we pray, Father, for the boldness to stand for you in this culture and in this time with our friends and family and neighbors and enemies. Help us to be your witness in Jesus' name. Amen.